The Productive Woman, Episode 230. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Productive Woman. My name is Laura McClellan and this is a podcast about productivity for busy women. My goal is to help you find the tools and encouragement you need to manage your time, life, stress, and stuff so you can accomplish the things you care about most and make a life that matters. Well, welcome back and thank you for joining me. In this episode, we're going to continue our recurring productive reading series, this time talking about lessons I've learned from James Clear's new book, Atomic Habits. You'll find more information and links in the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 230. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks and by UC Irvine, and I'm honored to thank the sponsors of this episode. If you're looking to advance your career or just take a class for personal growth, don't forget UC Irvine's Division of Continuing Education. Spring quarter's coming up, registration is open now, so visit ce.uci.edu slash podcast to learn more. That's ce.uci.edu slash podcast to learn more about UC Irvine Division of Continuing Education courses that are available to you. And be sure and let them know we sent you. I'll talk a little bit more about their great programs later on in the show. Right now, though, I want to say a thanks to a special thanks to FreshBooks, a longtime sponsor of The Productive Woman. FreshBooks is the online accounting software that I've used myself for two or three years now, I think. And they're offering you as a Productive Woman listener, a free 30-day all-access trial so you can find out for yourself how helpful and how usable FreshBooks is. It's easy to use, but it's also packed full of powerful features that let you manage your business finances efficiently and effectively, whether it's invoicing, tracking expenses and payments, tracking your time, putting together a proposal to get the new job. You can do it all from your computer or on the go from your smartphone. It's just a great tool for managing your business finances and one that I have been happy to use since actually before they became a sponsor of The Productive Woman. As I said, they're offering you a 30-day unrestricted free trial as a listener of The Productive Woman. And to claim it, all you need to do is go to freshbooks.com slash woman and enter The Productive Woman in the How Did You Hear About Us section. If you have tried FreshBooks, I would love it if you'd shoot me an email at feedback at theproductivewoman.com. Let me know how it's worked for you. Uh, Like I said, I've used it for years. uh, And I always am interested to hear other people's experiences with it. So shoot me an email, let me know what you think. All right, let's get into our conversation today about uh, James Clear's new book, Atomic Habits. So this is, as I said, a continuation of our productive reading recurring series. And by recurring series, I mean, this comes up every few months, I do an episode where I'll share with you the key takeaways and important lessons that I've learned from a book that I've read related to productivity type topics. So back in episode 133, we talked about Gary Keller's book, The One Thing. And episode 147, uh, we, we talked about The Power of Habit, Charles Duhigg's book. Episode 166, I actually kind of combined lessons learned from three of Brene Brown's books. And uh, 182, episode 182, we talked about Soulful Simplicity, Courtney Carver's book. And finally, the most recently in episode 211, we talked about Jeff Sanders' book, The Free Time Formula. All those episodes are back there. Those are all excellent books. And I encourage you to check them out. If you haven't listened to those episodes yet, you can listen, hear what the key takeaways are. But at the end of the day, I recommend you read these books. In this installment of our productive reading series, I'm going to be sharing my most important takeaways from James Clear's first book, Atomic Habits. So who is James Clear? I always like to know who I'm listening to, who I'm reading. 
And from the book cover, it says, James Clear is an author and speaker focused on habits, decision-making, and continuous improvement. His work has appeared in the New York Times, Time, and Entrepreneur, and he's been on CBS This Morning. He's a regular speaker at Fortune 500 companies, and his work is used by teams in the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball. You can learn more about Clear and his work on his website at jamesclear.com. Atomic Habits is his first book, but obviously he's been studying and writing about productivity-related things and specifically about habit development and habits uh, for quite some time. And I'll have links to all this stuff in the show notes for this episode. What is this book about? Well, the subtitle kind of gives it away. The book is called Atomic Habits, and he, the subtitle is An Easy and Proven Way to Build Good Habits and Break Bad Ones. And that certainly caught my attention. The book is about how very small actions, so when you're thinking atomic, thinking, you know, small things, uh, it's, so it's about how very small actions taken consistently over time will, as he puts it, compound into remarkable results. And that's really what the book is about. He really goes into, in the early parts of the book, how very small habits taken consistently over periods of time will have exponential results in our life. He defines habit as a routine or behavior that is performed regularly and in many cases automatically. And that's kind of important that once something has become a habit, it often happens without us consciously thinking about it. So one of the things that he talks about this kind of the key backdrop to his book is what he calls the four laws of behavior change. These are the laws you follow, the rules or the process you follow to change your behavior, to develop a new habit. And they are make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy, and make it satisfying. And so if you want to develop a new habit, create a new behavior that and and turn it into a habit that serves you. You start by making it obvious. You, you know, and this is the kind of thing like, you know, putting, putting your gym clothes out where you can see them when you get up in the morning, if you're trying to develop the habit of going to the gym, something like that. Make it attractive. He talks about how desire, and this is a quote from the book, desire is the engine that drives behavior. Every action is taken because of the anticipation that precedes it. It is the craving that leads to the response. And this is the piece that he kind of adds or adds or adds to or expands what um, Charles Duhigg talks about in The Power of Habit. Duhigg talks about the habit loops. And, and so it's the cue or the trigger, you know, the action and the, the result uh, Clear adds this concept of desire or the craving that we are looking for a result and we anticipate that result. And that's what gets us to take the action that we want to take. So making it attractive, finding something appealing that will make us want to take the action that we're trying to develop into a habit. Make it easy is the third one. And he talks about the two minute rule, that is whatever habit you're wanting to develop, scale it down to a two minute version, something you can do in two minutes that moves you in the direction of where you want to go. And finally, make it satisfying that result or reward that Duhigg talks about that there needs to be a reward for the behavior in order for us to want to repeat it. So that's a very brief um, summary of kind of the background that Clear uses for talking about habit development in the book. And there's obviously a lot more to it than just that. But just so you know, those are the four laws that he talks about. So what are some of my key takeaways? Uh, as I read this book, and I have to confess, this book took me longer to read than a lot of books do. I read very fast. I've been a bookworm since I was a kid. 
and I read very fast and I can usually get through books pretty quickly. This one took me a while because I kept slowing down to underline passages and make notes in the margins and go back and reread sections of it because it just, there was so much about it that made sense and really resonated with me at this stage in my life when I'm trying to develop certain better habits for various reasons. And so one of the key takeaways that I took from the book was the critical role that habits play in our lives. And I mean, I know that I've, you know, I've read Duhigg's book, I've read other books that talk about habits, but he really drives the point home. One of the things he says early on that really made me think is, he says, in the long run, the quality of our lives often depends on the quality of our habits. And I hadn't really thought about that. But there's so much truth in that. If we have habits that serve us, you know, good habits, and I'm using air quotes there, but by good habits, I mean habits that serve us, that get us the results we want in our life, then we're going to have a better quality of life than if we have counterproductive habits. And going back to the definition that I mentioned he uses in the book, that it's a routine or behavior that's performed regularly and in many cases automatically. We, many of us, have habits that are counterproductive, but we don't even realize they've become habits because they are just automatic responses to certain cues in our life. So as he says, in the long run, the quality of our lives often depends on the quality of our habits. And that really made me think about what habits do I have in my life and are they contributing to the quality of life that I want? Another point he makes is, and here's a quote, he says, it doesn't matter how successful or unsuccessful you are right now. What matters is whether your habits are putting you on the path toward success. You should be far more concerned with your current trajectory than with your current results. And again, just a very thought-provoking statement that we should be looking at the trajectory, the the direction we're headed. Is our life headed in a positive direction because we are developing habits that serve us? Or is our life headed in in a direction that we don't want because of habits that are counterproductive? He points out that your outcomes in your life are a lagging measure of your habits. That is, whatever you're experiencing right now in your life, in many ways is a reflection of the habits you developed, you know, weeks, months, years ago. So they're a lagging measure of your habits. If the results we are having in our life right now, the outcomes we have are don't satisfy us. They are not what we want. We can look back and see the habits that we've put in place in our lives that have led to this moment. Now, the good news is, as he says, you get what you repeat. So if we keep repeating counterproductive habits, we're going to get results that we don't want, but we can change our future by intentionally developing habits that serve us now. What we do once in a while matters far, far less than what we do regularly. And I really do believe this, that, you know, if you go to the gym once every six months, that is not going to have the impact on your life that just a daily walk around the block would have. Small actions taken regularly have a longer term, more bigger impact than big gestures taken every once in a while. Uh, uh, Clear says in the book, the effect of one-off experiences tends to fade away while the effect of habits gets reinforced with time, which means your habits contribute most of the evidence that shapes your identity. We are what we repeatedly do in many ways. We identify with the the actions that we take, the thoughts we think, whatever it is that we habitually do, that is our evidence of who we are as a person. And I think that's, we're, we're going to come back to that kind of general concept here in a little bit as we talk about some other sections of the book that I just thought were really, really meaningful for me anyway. Uh, so the, just the significance 
And the, the crucial role that habits play in our lives is one of the big takeaways for me from this book. He spends quite a bit of time talking about that early on. Then he talks a lot about the process for creating a new habit. And I don't, you know, I could read the whole book to you and it would be worthwhile. This is a book that would be worth having both as as something you can read, you know, a hard copy that you could underline and mark up and also an audio book that you could listen to and let it really get deeply into you because there's a lot of really good content in this book. So he talks a lot then about the process for creating a new habit and it really needs needs to be intentional. I mean, we, anything that we start doing repeatedly to the point that it becomes almost automatic and unconscious, that is a habit. And those can happen sort of accidentally. But he talks about a very intentional process for creating a habit, thinking about the outcome we want, the action that need, we would need to take to get the outcome we want, Uh, and having a plan for accomplishing that. He says, people who make a specific plan for when and where they will perform a new habit are more likely to follow through. Many people think they lack motivation when what they really lack is clarity. So in other words, what he's saying is creating a specific plan of here's when I'm going to take this action that I want to develop into a habit. Here's where I'm going to take it, when I'm going to take it, um, you know, the tools I'm going to have, what it, whatever. Having a very specific plan, creating that specific plan gives you the clarity of how you're going to develop this habit. I will do X at this time at that location. And having that plan increases the likelihood that you'll be successful in following through and actually developing the habit that you want in your life. And the other piece of intentionality about developing a new habit that he talks about is just monitoring it, being aware of what you're doing. He says life is constantly changing, so you need to periodically check in to see if your old habits and beliefs are still serving you. A lack of self-awareness is poison. Reflection and review is the antidote. And I thought that is really good. I, you know, we've talked a number of times in past episodes about the importance of awareness, of being conscious of what you're doing and, and doing things intentionally. And he, he goes so far as to say that a lack of self-awareness is poison. We can't change or improve what we're not aware of. And so he recommends not only having a plan for each new habit that you want to develop, how you're going to implement it into your life, but also intentionally looking at the habits and beliefs that that you have in your life to, to ask yourself the question, is that habit serving me? If I have a habit of, you know, every night coming home from work and sitting down and turning on, you know, some TV show, is that serving me? Is And maybe it is. It's not a question of somebody else telling you what's the right or wrong habits to have. It's really just having that conversation with yourself. Are the habits that I have in my life right now serving me now? Are they getting the results in my life that I want? And if they're not, then what am I going to do about it? He talks in the book about habit stacking, and we've talked about this before in other contexts, the idea of tying a new habit uh, that you want to develop to one that you already have in your life. So if you always brush your teeth in the morning at a certain time, maybe, and you want to start um, meditating on positive thoughts, maybe you will use your your toothbrushing habit to as a trigger for doing two minutes of meditation or something like that. So he, he calls it habit stacking. He talks about the value of that in getting it into your life. Another statement he made that I thought was so good is in this concept of when you're trying to avoid bad habits or develop good ones. And is, he says in one, one point, it's easier to avoid temptation than to resist it. One of the most practical ways to eliminate a bad habit is to reduce exposure to the cue that causes it. A simple 
illustration of this would be if you have a, you know, if you have a bad habit or you've decided it's a bad habit of eating a bowl of ice cream every night, and I'm, you know, raising my hand there. I don't do it every night, but the way I avoid that bad habit is I just don't buy ice cream. I don't have it in the house. So it's not, you know, I'm not going to open my freezer and see it there and think, oh, I want, I want that bowl of ice cream. That's a very simple illustration of the point he's making here. Uh, and he talks about how people who are very successful in avoiding uh, certain bad habits, it's not that they have more willpower than the rest of us. It's that they have learned to not put themselves in the situation where that bad habit would be triggered. That's the point he's making here. And I thought that was a really good uh, thought-provoking idea that if there is something that I'm doing routinely that has become a habit for me that I want to stop doing, what is the cue that triggers that action that I want to stop doing? And how can I avoid having exposure to that cue? So something to consider there. Another point that he made that I really, really liked was, if you want to master a habit, the key is to start with repetition, not perfection. Repeating a habit leads to clear physical changes in the brain. Remember earlier, I, I read a quote from the book where he talks about that we get what we repeat. And his point here is to, a lot of us get kind of flummoxed by our perfectionism, that if I can't do it perfectly, why bother at all? And what he's saying is that's not how you develop a good habit. It's repetition that matters, not perfection. He says the point is to master the habit of showing up. The truth is a habit must be established before it can be improved. So get it into your life, let it become part of your routine, part of your, you know, let it start to become a habit for you, then you can improve it. This is a kind of the approach that I use when I fall off the wagon as far as exercising. And for quite a while, I was really good about working out 30 to 45 minutes a day. And because of travel and various things like that, it just, it, it I quit doing it. And once you miss a few times, it gets easier and easier to miss it. To get back into that routine, which I have done, I could say, well, I've got, you know, in order for it to be worthwhile, I've got to do 30 to 45 minutes worth of a workout to get the results that I want. Uh, but at this point, I'm not necessarily going to do that. If I, And so I, he's saying, instead of trying to be perfect about it, just show up. And so for me, that means I started out saying, All I'm going to, I'm going to do 10 minutes on the elliptical, just 10 minutes. And that's all I've got to do. And then I can check it off my list and move on. And I'd show just, but I have to do it every day. And I show up and I get on the thing and I do my 10 minutes and I get off. And I, once it has become just a part of my routine and I start to have that sort of subconscious craving to do it that he, like he talks about, then now it's become a habit. Now I can start to improve it and I can add a few minutes on each day until I get up to the length of workout that I want. And the same thing can be true for any kind of habit you're trying to develop. Maybe you want to be a writer. And, you know, you want to write a novel or you want to write magazine articles or whatever it is that you want to write, rather than worrying about writing something perfect, just start to develop the habit of sitting down every day and writing, you know, two bad sentences or whatever small, the smallest increment that will get you on the board, so to speak. And develop the habit of sitting in the chair and typing or writing those words every day, even if it's just a few sentences, and even if they're really bad. Because as he said, a habit has to be established before it can be improved. Once it has become a part of your routine and it has become something you do kind of almost automatically, then you can start to improve your output, both in terms of quantity and certainly in terms of quality. So if you want to master a habit, he says, the key is to start with repetition, not perfection. Uh, he 
talks a lot in the book, not a lot, but he talks some about the value of tracking the habits you want to develop. It keeps you aware and honest about what you're doing. Uh, He says the mere act of tracking a behavior can spark the urge to change it. Measurement offers one way to overcome our blindness to our own behavior and notice what's really going on each day. When the evidence is right in front of you, you're less likely to lie to yourself. And so tracking the uh, the behavior that you're trying to develop can uh, trigger more of that behavior. Uh, Perfect example, lots of people talk about this, people who are wanting to eat healthier and maybe lose weight, uh, those who track what they eat each day, who actually write it down and keep track of it, are more likely to be successful, because you become aware and you you may be thinking in your mind, well, I hardly eat anything. Why, why am I not losing weight? But if you actually write it down, the truth is on the paper. And so he really kind of hits hard on this idea that tracking the habits you're trying to develop, not tracking things that are already habits, but a habit that you're trying to develop keeps you aware and you're going to be less likely to fool yourself about what you're actually doing. Tracking it also gives you visible evidence of your progress. And most important, he says, it keeps you focused on the process rather than the result. There is a real, uh, you know, the whole idea of keeping track of, you know, whatever habit is you're trying to develop and writing it down or marking it on a calendar or something. The old story that's been told a lot of times about Jerry Seinfeld was asked by an aspiring comedian how he got good at what he was doing. And Seinfeld said he had, he he just had this habit of writing a joke every single day. And he would, he had a big calendar on the wall. And each day when he wrote a joke, he would mark a big X on the calendar. And once you, you get to do it two or three times, you've got a streak going. And he says the idea is just to not break the streak. There's something in our psyche that doesn't want to see that streak broken. If we're doing something like that, put, you know, put a big calendar on the wall, put an X on the day when we've actually done whatever this habit is that we're trying to develop, whether it's, you know, doing some exercise, writing some words, making phone calls to potential clients, whatever habit you're trying to build into your life, putting, then you get to put an X in the calendar block for that day. And there's something in us that doesn't want to see gaps in that once we get a streak growing, going. Now, so that's a great tool to use. But the fact is for almost, in almost every case, any streak is ultimately going to be broken. But Clear points this out. And I th- this is so good that um, for those of us who, you know, kind of, well, I, I messed up today. I just, I might as well give up entirely kind of thing. Clear says the first mistake is never the one that ruins you. It is the spiral of repeated mistakes that follow. Missing once is an accident. Missing twice is the start of a new habit. The problem is not slipping up. The problem is thinking that if you can't do something perfectly, then you shouldn't do it at all. And I don't know about you, but that's, you know, that's a mindset thing that I have been really working to change because that's something I struggle with, whether it's with what I eat or, you know, various other things. Um, You know, well, I messed up. I, you know, ate a cookie at lunch. I might as well eat all the cookies because now I've blown my my diet for the day, that kind of thing. Um, So... I love this point. And this is the kind of thing I will write down. It's good enough that I want to read it to you again, because I really want this to to sink in. The first mistake is never the one that ruins you. It is the spiral of repeated mistakes that follow. Missing once is an accident. Missing twice is the start of a new habit. The problem is not slipping up. The problem is thinking that if you can't do something perfectly, then you shouldn't do it at all. Hmm. Something to really think about, to remind ourselves when we break our streak, when we fall off the wagon and do, you know, follow the bad habit instead of the new good one that we're trying to develop. The idea is to get back on the horse and just start a new streak. Okay. 
Another thing he talks about in the book, uh, and we're talking about the book Atomic Habits, and I'll have a link in the show notes if you want to order a copy. You're not ordering it from me. It'll just be an Amazon link. Um, But he talks about the idea, and we've we've actually talked about this before in the past, but he really makes the points well, that it's better to focus on the system's rather than the outcomes. So he kind of talks about instead of setting goals that are um, an objective and out that are outcome based, he really encourages us to think about putting systems in place that ultimately will get us to that outcome, but focusing on the system. Uh, He says, goals are about the results you want to achieve. Systems are about the processes that lead to those results. And then he goes on to say, if you want better results, then forget about setting goals. Focus on your system instead. Goals are good for setting a direction, but systems are best for making progress. And so this is the kind of thing, and I keep coming, maybe you can maybe guess why I keep coming up with examples related to diet and exercise. And by diet, I don't mean a diet, but nutrition eating and exercise. Instead of saying, setting a goal of, I'm going to lose X pounds, he would say, set a process related goal or set up, develop habits that create a system that would lead you to that outcome. So what kind of uh, actions would I need to take if I, if my objective, the direction I wanted to go was losing weight and being more healthy? Uh, It probably would be Things like eating more vegetables or eating only at mealtimes or something like that, but putting systems in place. Um, He talks about the fact that problems arise from focusing too much on goals, on the outcome, and not enough on your systems. Um, One of those being uh, that winners and losers have the same goals. So somebody who runs a marathon, the person who wins and the person who, who doesn't win all had the the goal of, uh, you know, winning the marathon, but not everybody got it. Um, He says in the book, if successful and unsuccessful people share the same goals, the goal cannot be what differentiates the winners from the losers. It's got to be something else. It's the systems that the winners put in place. Those who achieve what they're going for have put the right systems, developed the right habits, that ultimately led to the result that they wanted. He also points out that achieving a goal is only a momentary change. It just happens and then it's done. Uh, In the book, he says, achieving a goal only changes your life for the moment. That's the counterintuitive thing about improvement. We think we need to change our results, but the results are not the problem. What we really need to change are the systems that cause those results. When you solve problems at the results level, you only solve them temporarily. In order to improve for good, you need to solve problems at the systems level. Fix the inputs and the outputs will fix themselves. So developing the right habits, the right systems, the right actions have a longer term impact on our life than achieving you know, a number on a scale or a number of words on a page or whatever, having the habits in place that lead to the results we want. That's what matters most. He also says this, and I thought this was interesting. He says that goals restrict our happiness because when we focus on goals, we're basically delaying happiness until the future date when the goal is achieved. So I won't be happy until I've written this book or I've, you know, made a million dollars or I have, you know, uh, you know, lost 25 pounds, whatever that outcome is. I don't get to be happy until that happens. But, but he says this, when you fall in love with the process rather than the product, you don't have to wait to give yourself permission to be happy. You can be satisfied anytime your system is running. So when the focus is on the habit you're developing, taking the actions day by day by day, as long as you're doing that, you get to be happy now instead of waiting to get the result that you were shooting for. 
He also says goal, that goals are at odds with long-term progress. If you focus on achieving a goal, the motivation to do whatever the thing is goes away when you've achieved it. And he says, the purpose of setting goals is to win the game. The purpose of building systems is to continue playing the game. So developing those habits, uh, putting those systems in place, as, as he puts it, um, that lets us continue, keeps us going long after the whatever the outcome we were shooting for has come and gone. So I really liked that idea of focusing on systems rather than outcomes, developing habits and and uh, creating new routines for ourselves rather than shooting for an outcome someday in the future. Uh, I also really liked what he talks about a lot in the book uh, is the concept of habits as an expression of our identity and conversely basing habit change in changing our identity. So he talks about the three layers of behavior change and developing what he, you know, identity-based habits. So the outside layer, and he's got graphics in the book that kind of illustrate this, but the outside layer uh, is where we change our outcomes. The middle layer is changing our processes, but the deepest layer is changing our identity, our beliefs, our worldview, our self-image, and our judgments about ourselves and others. He says, with outcome-based habits, the focus is on what you want to achieve. With identity-based habits, the focus is on who you wish to become. I love that so much because it's a whole different level of motivation. If you're, instead of trying to shoot for an outcome, you're thinking about who is it I want to be in the world? Clear says in the book, behind every system of actions is a system of beliefs. Behavior that is incongruent with the self will not last. It's hard to change your habits if you never change the underlying beliefs that led to your past behavior. I mean, this book really is calling for us to be so aware, to be really conscious about who we are, what we think about ourselves, what we believe about ourselves in the world, because it's not until we get to that that deeper layer that we're really going to be able to make the changes in our behavior that will get us the results that we want in our life. He says that true behavior change is identity change. You might start a habit because of motivation, but the only reason you'll stick with one is that it becomes part of your identity. Uh, and then he says, your behaviors are usually a reflection of your identity. When your behavior and identity are fully aligned, you are no longer pursuing behavior change. You're simply acting like the type of person you already believe yourself to be. So the question you're asking, I, th I think, is is not, what do I want to do? What outcome do I want to achieve and what do I have to do to get that? But it's who do I need to be? Who do I want to be? And how does that kind of person behave? What kind of actions does that person take? He says, the more deeply a thought or action is tied to your identity, the more difficult it is to change it. The biggest barrier to positive change at any level is identity conflict. Good habits can make rational sense, but if they conflict with your identity, you will fail to put them into action. So again, this really requires us to look at ourselves deeply and say, who do I think I am? Because if I think I'm the kind of person who doesn't finish what she starts, then it's going to be really hard for me to develop a habit of taking the actions I need to finish a particular project. If I think I'm the kind of person who can't control uh, herself around sugar, it's going to be really hard to uh, develop habits that involve me not eating sugar. I, you know, I'm just kind of throwing ideas out there. I should have thought of some examples. Um, he's got lots of really good examples in the book, but I don't, I don't want to read the whole book to you. So the idea is being aware of what it is you believe about who you are and deciding, does that belief serve me? Is that the kind of person I want to be? 
He says, becoming the best version of yourself requires you to continuously edit your beliefs and to upgrade and expand your identity. And he he says this, I love this. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. Hmm. Everything you do is voting for the kind of person you want to be. So every time you work out or eat a salad rather than a bag of chips, or every time you brush your teeth, you're casting a vote for being a person who takes care of her body, for instance. Each time you write, you're casting a vote for being a writer. Each time you, you know, go into work on time and give 100% or make calls to potential clients, you are casting a vote for being the kind of person who works diligently to do a good job and serve her clients. Every action you take, he says, is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. And then he talks about a two-step process for changing your identity. And it's not about denying who you are or deciding you're not good enough, so you need to improve. It's just, uh, you know, he goes into this more in the book, and and I I do encourage you to read it because there's a lot of good stuff there. It's really about being intentional about who you are in the world and who you want to be. Are If you are content with and satisfied with who you are and that your actions reflect the kind of person you want to be, then that's great. That's exactly where you need to be. But if you've ever felt like, I just don't know why I keep doing that. I, that, I don't, that's, I don't want to be the kind of person who gossips or I don't want to be the kind of person who fill in the blank. Then this is a process for becoming the kind of person you want to be keeping in mind that the actions you take are are a vote for the kind of person you want to be. So we want to be intentional about it. And he has this two-step process. He says, number one, decide the type of person you want to be. And number two, prove it to yourself with small wins. So first of all, decide who you want to be. He says, ask yourself, what do you want to stand for? What are your principles and values? Who do you wish to become? And he notes that these might be hard questions to answer. We don't always know how to answer them. It's easier to, to know an outcome we want. We want to wear size four jeans or publish a book or get a promotion. And so the way he directs us to think about that, if we're if it's easier for us to picture the outcome we want than to answer the questions about who we want to be, then picture that outcome and then say, who is the type of person that could get the outcome I want? Think about that. And then what actions would that person take? Okay. That's the next step to prove prove it to yourself by getting some wins. When you identified what kind of person would get the outcome that you want, then you can ask yourself in any situation, what action would that type of person take in this situation? And just take those small actions. One by one, they add up to evidence to yourself that you are that type of person. Um, And Clear says, ultimately, your habits matter because they help you become the type of person you wish to be. They are the channel through which you develop your deepest beliefs about yourselves. Quite literally, you become your habits. The things, the actions you take day by day by day, your mind interprets that as the evidence of what kind of person you are. And if we are intentional about it, purposeful about it, then we can take the actions that show ourselves we are the kind of person we actually want to be. Um, there's so much more in the book, um, but this episode is getting way too long. I wanted to talk more about, um, he talks about the science of how habits work, you know, the, the cue craving response and reward. He says, all behavior is driven by the desire to solve a problem. We want to change the state we're in, uh, our, our state, our state of mind, our physical state, whatever, from what it is to something else. So we don't want to feel hungry or sad or afraid or ashamed or cold or lonely. So we crave something that will take away that feeling. Um, 
He talks about the importance of awareness, you know, but he says before we can effectively build new habits, we need to get a handle on our current ones. This can be more challenging than it sounds, he says, because once a habit is firmly rooted in your life, it is mostly non-conscious and automatic. And one of the, our greatest challenges in changing habits is maintaining awareness of what we're actually doing. And he offers on his website, uh, what he calls a habit scorecard that you can use to list all your habits and evaluate whether or not they serve you. And um, I, I'll try to put a link in the show notes. Well, there'll be a link to his website for sure. And then you can get these things. Here's something I, I do. I, I, I want to wrap this up, but I really didn't want to miss this point because this was so good. He says at one point, there are no good habits or bad habits. There are only effective habits that is effective at solving problems. All habits serve you in some way, even the bad ones, which is why you repeat them. He says, we repeat bad habits because they serve us in some way, and that makes them hard to abandon. Again, when we are asking ourselves, why do I keep doing that? We've got to get real honest with ourselves at that point, because the fact is, whatever bad habit, if, and I'm using air quotes around bad, a habit that we have that we feel like it doesn't serve us, it doesn't reflect the kind of person we want to be, it is serving us in some way. And the way that the way to find a way past it and around it and through it is to figure out how is that bad habit serving me? What, what is it giving me? Uh, that I, that I need and how can I find a more productive way to get that need served? He says, um, and I'm, there's kind of a long quote, but I want to read this to you because this is so good. He says, every action, every action we take is preceded by a prediction. Life feels reactive, but it's actually predictive all day long. You're making your best guess of how to act given what you've just seen and what has worked for you in the past. Our behavior is heavily dependent on how we interpret the events that happen to us, not necessarily the objective reality of the events. And, and this is me saying, you know, that we know this is true because two different people experiencing the same event can have completely different responses. So our behavior is uh, what we choose to do very much depends on how we interpret what happens, not necessarily the objective reality of it. And then he goes on to say, it is only when you predict that you would be better off in a different state that you take action. A craving is a sense that something is missing. It is the desire to change your internal state. Desire is the difference between where you are now and where you want to be in the future. And, and I would say, even if the future is five minutes from now, uh, he says, even the tiniest action is tinged with the motivation to feel differently than you do in the moment. When you binge eat or light up or browse social media, what you really want is not a potato chip or a cigarette or a bunch of likes. What you want is to feel different. Oh my goodness, this is so important. This is like, this is the crux of everything. When we become aware of the underlying subconscious reason for the action we want to take, the desire to feel differently, then we can start to intentionally set ourselves up for better choices. What is the change we want? What is the feeling we're having now that we don't want to have? How do we want to feel? And then what other options do we have to get the feeling we want? I just think that's so important, understanding what it is we really want and that drives the actions we're taking that we would like to change. Because when we understand what it is we really want, we can start to intentionally find better ways, more productive ways of getting what we want. And the other thing he says that I'll kind of end with is you don't have to build the habits everyone tells you to build. Choose the habit that best suits you not the one that is most popular. All right. So there's so much more to this book than I've summarized here. Uh, it's one of the best books, honestly, that I've read in terms of just practical impact and um, thought provoking passages. My copy is full of underlined sentences and marginal notes and things that I'm going to take action on. I encourage you to read Atomic Habits and see if the system he describes will help you intentionally develop new habits that will help you make a life that matters. 
And so uh, those are my thoughts on the book. What do you think? Have, have you read Atomic Habits? What spoke to you most strongly in the book? Uh, have you made any changes in your life as a result of it? I'd love to hear from you. We've actually already had a conversation going about this book in the Productive Woman Community Facebook group before I had, nobody even knew that I was reading this book and was planning to do an episode about it. And and folks, somebody posted that they're reading it and it's really having a huge impact and a lot of, a lot of comments there. Let's continue the conversation there. Uh, And if you're in the Productive Woman Community Facebook group, it's a great place to talk about the book. Or you can post a comment or a question in the comment section of the show notes for this episode, which you can find by going to theproductivewoman.com slash 230. If you want to share your thoughts with me privately about the episode, you can email your questions or comments to me at feedback at theproductivewoman.com. And I would love to hear from you because I, I, I really would like to know what you think of the things that I've talked about in the book in general. Before we go, I want to share with you a little bit about our new new sponsor, UC Irvine, and its Division of Continuing Education. A lot of us have goals at, as this year begins of that involve additional education. Sometimes we're trying to move ahead in our current job, or we're trying to prepare for a new career, or maybe we just want to learn something new and expand our horizons a little bit. Well, the University of California, Irvine, Division of Continuing Education is here to help us achieve those goals. So if you're trying to start a new career or build a company or just develop a better appreciation of the world around you, the UCI Division of Continuing Education has the resources that you need to support those undertakings. They offer programs in a wide range of categories, business to IT, healthcare, finance, law, kind of anything you could imagine. And they're all taught by expert instructors with industry experience. Their certificate programs and specialized studies programs can allow you to advance in your career in as little as six months. And UC Irvine is no slouch in the education department. They're ranked among the top 50 universities nationally here in the United States, and it ranks 10th among all public universities in a U.S. News and World Report annual college survey. Online courses that they offer, those provide flexibility in a real immersive online classroom experience, including allowing you to collaborate with your peers who are also enrolled in the classes. Spring quarter's coming up. Registration is open now. Really, if, if getting some education or broadening your horizons is part of your plan for this year, visit ce.uci.edu slash podcast to learn more about what they have to offer. That's ce.uci.edu slash podcast to learn more. And be sure and let them know the Productive Woman sent you. And I will have a link to this in the show notes. So if you scroll down to the bottom of the show notes, you can find links for this here. Remember FreshBooks as well, that 30-day unrestricted free trial that they're offering to you as a Productive Woman listener. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash woman and enter the productive woman in the how did you hear about us section. This is your chance to put it through its paces and see how it can help you manage your business finances. And so much thanks to FreshBooks and to UC Irvine for supporting the productive woman. And that's it for this episode of The Productive Woman. I am grateful to you for taking the time to uh, listen and, and be here with me. I hope you found it worthwhile. I look forward to talking with you again very soon. So until next time, remember, extend grace to each other and to yourself and go make your life matter. The Productive Woman is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to help you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx.